Sponsored by the UCD Innovation Academy. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with Dr. Lolly Mansi. Hi, I'm Dr. Lolly, and you're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You. I'm an entrepreneur and a lecturer in UCD's Innovation Academy, and I teach entrepreneurship, innovation, and creativity. And I believe that entrepreneurs are both born and made. In this series, we won't be talking to the Elon Musks and the Richard Bransons of this world. We'll be talking to people just like you. Hi, welcome to 2024 to an entrepreneur like you with me, Dr. Lolly. Well, raising in the new year, I hope it was a good Christmas for everybody. And uh, I hope you're all thinking about not new year, new me, because, you know, we can start at any time. But just, you know, did you have a little bit of indulgence over the Christmas period? I'm sure you did get in those extra steps. Well, today's episode is going to be all about... Well, a little bit like, uh, let's just say, continuing on that vein from Christmas, because we're going to be talking about ice cream. And we're going to be talking about a full fat ice cream as well, one that's uh, luxurious and uh, and delicious. So you don't need to just think about that diet just yet. So just uh, sit back and listen and meet my guest today, Connor Sweeney. Hi, Connor. Hi, Lolly. How are you today? Very good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on today. You're very, very welcome. So, Connor, I have a bit of a reputation for stalking on LinkedIn, but actually you popped up on my Instagram. That's good. We try <laughs> so, hard on both. Yeah. Um, uh, and like a, like like most people, I'm sort of sitting looking through reels. So whatever it is about the algorithms that are set, uh, ice creams and anything pink metallic seems to be coming up for me at the moment. That's for sure. Yeah, we try really hard to make it look super delicious all the time. And that's what we push out. Yeah, brilliant. Well, before we get into your brand, um, uh, and I, I know that you've had, you've had a really interesting backstory, let's just talk about a little bit about you. So what was your path up to becoming an entrepreneur? Because one of the things I'm always fascinated about is the sort of the different routes that people get into this from. And people don't really wake up one morning thinking, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. They don't, you know, they wouldn't get careers guidance when they say, what do you want to be? And they say that. Now we should, because there's a certain set of skills. And uh, I'm going to list off some of the skills that I've met in other entrepreneurs. And you can tell me if any of those resonate. Sounds good. So risk taker. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, and I hate this term, thinking outside the box. For an entrepreneur, there is no box. So just being thinking differently. Non-stop thinking. Yeah. yeah. Seeing the gaps between things that other people cannot see. Yeah. Uh, joining the dots that people cannot join. Sometimes better than most, but yeah. Yeah. And then the other one it really is just this sort of effervescence in terms of work. You know, that you get up in the morning and there's something more than just a paycheck. There's a drive in you. Would that resonate as well? Yeah. 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 So tell us a little bit about you as a kid then. What a little Connor, what was he like? Um, little Connor, like every other little kid, just playing lots of sports. Uh, super competitive when I was younger. Yeah. Played everything from rugby to tennis, Gaelic football, hurling. Um, was really pushed as a kid, ended up winning um, All-Ireland Failures. And mm, congratulations. Up, thank you. Ended up um, on Dublin Miners for a few years and wow. that really pushed um, the competitive side of myself. Yeah. So, What was it that you got through sport that you enjoyed so much? Was it the, the camaraderie or was it just the, the sheer level of, of you against you? you well, even if you play a team sport or individual, it all comes down to how much you push. Yeah. So like you could give it your all and sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes yeah. you fall short or down that sense of accomplishment where you know you did yourself proud and you um, got the goal you wanted to achieve. Yeah. So got that mostly from sports. 
And what is it that you're, did you, so what did, did you have a background of entrepreneurialism? So are your parents entrepreneurs? Where have you kind of picked this up from? Of course. Well, I actually, funny story, I actually hate business okay. up until I started this. <laughs> so my dad always owned his own business. He owned a few dry cleaners yeah. uh, that he scaled up over the years. And then my mom was in travel. Right. Um, so I used to see them working crazy hours, especially my dad, yeah. um, like 80, 90 hour weeks every week. Yeah. And uh, so obviously growing up, didn't study business in school yeah. Um, and just kind of saw them doing it and obviously just been ingrained in me from 12 years old. I remember going into dry cleaners and um, ironing shirts and helping on the pressing machines. So yeah. being hardworking and uh, driven to do something that yeah. is rewarding has always been ingrained in me from a young age. Yeah, that's really interesting. My first job as a as a teenager was I was fourteen working in a dry cleaners in London. Actually, I used to get a tenner, which shows you how long ago it was. More than and, me. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. but uh, even now, like kind of the smell of the dry cleaners, like kind of I just have to walk past yeah. an open door and it takes me back. Like yeah, it's it very distinct, isn't it? The yeah. chemicals they use and everything. Yeah, and it's really humid. It's yeah. hot and stick. It's tough work. Yeah, it is tough work. Yeah, yeah. So, did your dad have one shop or did he own a chain or what was his? background yeah so he worked in sales was made redundant and right. ended up um buying one uh, one store yeah and then that store grew up to i think five was the total at the time and now he's back down to three wow, and okay. then he does a lot of outsourcing for other dry cleaners around the dublin area yeah 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 so he's still working and he's still plowing forward still working trying yeah. to get him to retire though but he works too hard <laughs> well i think sometimes it's you know they say it's not work you just get what else would you do you know, this, there's this thing where it's been your purpose for so long. Yeah. And um, your mum's in travel. So is she an entrepreneur within the travel sector? Um, she came into a company that got acquired years and years ago. Yeah. Um, I think she was like employee three at the time and then uh, learned all her experience from that and then has now worked in um, manager for one of the larger travel companies in Ireland uh, for the past nearly 15 years. Wow, that must have been tough during COVID. And, uh, yeah. you know, the, the travel sector was uh, decimated. Yeah, for know? sure. Yeah. And do you have siblings? Yes, I have one brother and one sister, both younger. And what do they do at the moment? My brother is uh, business. So he does, <laughs> uh, he's in tech for um, construction. Yeah. And then my sister is a in real estate. Okay, okay. Yeah, so you can see where that work ethic comes from very clearly, yeah. that sort of there was never any question that sort of you wouldn't work really hard. Yeah, definitely. So you didn't go into college to do business. What did you study? Um, so I'm not very good on laptop and IT yeah. systems, so I've always been very good um, physically learning stuff. So I went, wanted to be a session musician. So essentially, mm. bands rent, I play drums, uh, so bands rent you out to play their songs and you travel the world. Yeah. Um, ended up wow. going to um, BIM College for just under a year. Yeah. And I realized I did not like how the music industry was. Yeah. Um, not as it's portrayed to be. Um, yeah. So that kind of took me back a step. And at the time, I got really into cooking in the past three years, from 17 onwards. Yeah. And I was like, what am I going to do? And my partner, my fiance, um, pushed, was like, why don't you do cooking? That's what you're really interested in. Mm. So I went back to college. I did four years in uh, Cottle Brewer Street of um, culinary arts degree. Yeah. And learned everything from like the basics uh, to French cookery, master sauces to um, international cuisine. And cooking's been my life ever since. I love it. So from drumming to cooking, that's unusual. And mm. that's not a path I've heard of very much. Were there any... Are there any any crossovers between the two? No, absolutely. <laughs> Other than you use both your hands and you work really fast, that's it. 
<laughs> yeah, I was trying to struggling to find one. Yeah. There, uh, my my daughter's been playing the drums. She's seventeen. I've been playing drums since she was seven, and uh, she see she sight reads music, but she says that she sees it as you know that's she's her maths is her thing. So, mm. w- how were you at maths? Uh, grand, not grand, anything. Yeah, okay, not bad, not great. But... Okay. So tell me about cooking then. What is it that cooking gives you? Like. Uh, I love it. I love yeah. it's I think there's nothing else in the world where you can put a smile on someone else's face. <laughs> that's so like brings them back to a certain location or an event or yeah. something. You know, you always hear the saying, Oh, this is just like my grandmother's or I right. remember being in this cafe with my parents or friends or something. Um I think cooking is an ability to bring back really deep emotions for people and mm. it's great. So the word evocative springs to mind there, sort of a memory making. That's really mm. interesting. And when you first got into it, um, I mean, the kitchen's an an interesting place. It's sort of a very structured, hierarchical order. Like, kind of, is that something that you find yourself, you enjoy working within that system? Yes and no. (laughs) So I remember it was super French. So uh, our old old head chefs in the kitchen are like um, super, just me, put it frank. And that's how it was for their head chefs and the head chefs before them, just the French way of the brigade. Um, So yeah, I remember going in and everyone, most most of the time it was their first kitchen they were in mm. and I remember the head chef came over to me and I was vegetarian at the time they were like you're never going to make it as a vegetarian chef give up now right. and I was like class thanks very much uh, but I did kept going Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of that They uh, a lot of abusive environments that happened a lot yeah. of good environments too but um, when we went into creating our own that was the one thing I wanted to make sure was good that times are changing nowadays in a yeah. lot of kitchens and I wanted to be part of that new generation yeah, I mean the the bear the the, the TV program the bear yeah. springs to, to mind. You know this idea of sort of the hot steamy shouting. You know, but then again the visionary in in all of that. You know, yeah. um, and and why why is the kitchen so male dominated at the high level? It's a good question. Good question. Don't have the answer. I, a lot of the mm. kitchens I've worked have been female dominated. Yeah, really strong female. Maybe that's changing now. Head then. chefs and sous chefs. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like in my course alone, there was predominantly females compared yeah. to males. Um, I guess it's just probably females are smarter than men, not taking it as a career because it's when you go up to the fine dining, it's really hard. It's tough, yeah. And women see as like we can do something better, which is better for our bodies. We're not standing on our feet a hundred hours a week being right. paid nothing. Uh, whereas men probably has the ego to keep pushing, and yeah, not good. And Gordon Ramsay might have something to say about, about all of that because uh, the, the idea of the sort of the angry archetype in the kitchen, you know, is yeah. something that he's made his career out of. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's really interesting to say that there can be a different way. Um, and uh, certainly we've seen a lot of sort of um, probably, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, sort of hipster chefs, you know, kind of come through to sort of make their name. Um, but uh, it's still very, very egotistical field. You yeah, know, definitely. And it's, it's interesting to think about changing that and moving into a different kind of way of being, a sort of more egalitarian, yeah. fairer way. I, yeah. th- I think you are seeing a change. In it. Like even yeah. in Dublin alone, I think there's less fine dining restaurants opening, which would traditionally yeah. have that negative kitchen feel, whereas there's a lot more uh, fast, casual, but like really pinpointing great ingredients and making great food with mm. um uh, workers' mental health at the forefront rather than just doing crazy hours. Yeah, I'd not really thought about that until just this moment. So if we think about the slow food movement potentially that sort of certainly that Ireland is, is prospering in at the moment and I can, I've been in Ireland 21 years, I can remember a time when Ireland wasn't known for its food, you know, and we were the joke of Europe really for a while. That's really started to change. Uh, we've got the most incredible ingredients and the most incredible, you know, minds putting things together. 
you know, what 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 kind of things do you think would be are behind this sort of shift? You know, because we already we already always had those ingredients anyway. Is it that we just didn't value them? It's funny. I actually have this conversation like once a month. Um, <laughs> I actually think it's the influx of immigrants over the past two decades. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ireland traditionally has been a very poor country up until mm. the past before Celtic Tiger when tech is flooded in, which again we didn't really have much cuisine back for sure. for many reasons. Um, but now the influx of all these amazing cuisines, these people have come over, they've started families and their generational cooking has been inbred, embedded in Irish cuisine. Yeah. So you see so many different um, Irish staples, but with twists on them. And I feel that's what's pushing the Irish culinary uh, scene forward. That's really interesting. Give me an example. Oh, um, Baja, yeah. um, Filipino, Filipino Irish food. Incredible. Yeah. Um, Janet's, um, it's like a um, Chinese Irish cuisine. Um, the list can go on, really. Yeah. You name any cuisine, whether it's Eastern European to any sort of Asian country, there's an Irish influence somewhere. Mm, mm. I mean, I've seen the, the the spice bag reinvented to be of the highest standard, you know, yeah. like kind of, and there's nothing that's sort of off limits, right? You yeah, know, of in course. terms of that. Is the spice bag um, a Dublin based? meal <laughs> that's a good question I don't know my history of spice yeah, bags no I don't either yeah. I don't either I, I think that it probably is um, I mean I remember during Covid um, there was a chef from the Breton Hotel in uh, Kerry or Killarney I think um, and um, Chad, Chad Chad is oh, his I know name Chad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And funny he, I actually went down cause, did you so my grandparents are from Clorgland right um, and we'll touch on it a bit later but yeah. I was living in London we came back down to Clorgland yeah. where we spent Covid and uh Went down to the local chipper and Chad was there and we got talking. And uh, yeah. I think it wasn't a spice bag, it was some sort of spiced box he gave yeah, us. Yeah, but, uh, that's yeah, that's right. Because yeah. yeah. he was running that out of the Hungry Donkey, that's which the one, was the, yeah. the box on the side of the road. Like kind of from a, what, you know, to extent and purposes was a, a very high, well thought of restaurant to a, to a horse box, yeah. you know. So um, it just shows you what could be done. So you mentioned London there. So obviously mm. you've left at some point. When did you go? Two stints in London. So the mm. first one was in year three college. We have to do a stage, which is just a French term for an internship in yeah. the culinary industry. Um, so there was not much vegetarian fine dining at the time in Ireland, except for Cafe Paradiso in Cork. Right. But I wanted to expand. We had the opportunity and there was this incredible restaurant called Vanilla Black. Um, kind of being at the forefront of pushing vegetarian food for a while. So I was lucky enough to go over and do, I think it was like nine or ten weeks over there. Mm. Um, they offered me a job, I turned it down, came back and finished my college course. Right. And then as soon as I finished, I booked a flight and told them I was coming over. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have a job for me until <laughs> landed on the Monday, uh, texted me Monday nights like, oh, we just had a chef leave. Do you want to start Wednesday morning? Perfect. So Amazing. started on the Wednesday and then we were only there for about six months until COVID hit. Wow. Can you remember some of the dishes you were creating there? Yeah. So I was, um, I was on the main section. So... We had a vanilla basted celeriac with something else. Can't remember. Um, what else were you we making? We I'm were, thinking chestnut puree would be beautiful with that. Yeah, we had a charred fennel dish as well. Yeah. So it was like a um, charred fennel puree with uh, roasted fennel bulbs and a fennel lemon vinaigrette mm. gel mm, mm. with well, fennel pollen. Yeah, it was really good. Um, there was a cool one, which we were just at the end of R&D before it got pulled, but it was kind of like, this restaurant was very, I wouldn't say wacky, it was really pushing the sensory. Yeah. So it was the idea of a brioche donut, mm. 
which was filled with a savory uh, falafel custard. And then it was dipped in a uh, mirror glaze of a chili seasoning. Oh my God, that sounds delicious. Yeah. yeah. And then there was, it's kind of like a concept of like a falafel wrap. Yeah. Uh, it sounded terrible, but it worked really well. Like stuff like that. So. Well, I did say at the beginning of this episode we would be talking about food. <laughs> My mouth's watering. I, I mean, the only name I would know uh, in the vegetarian's food area really would be Ottolenghi, right? Yeah, like of course. kind of like yeah. so. Are there are there other standout stars coming up behind Ottolenghi that will probably take that? Do you think in the vegetarian movement? Probably not. Yeah, he's done so much. Yeah, we're not even vegetarian. We're just like good food. Yeah, like respecting where your ingredients come from and just making the most of them. I think a lot of restaurants are just giving a little bit more time to their vegetarian menus. Yeah. Um, like, obviously, most notably, Noma has a plant-based season where right. um, a lot of the veg is grown in-house or any of the flowers and stuff like that is pushed. Um, mm. uh, 11 Madison Park, traditionally the number one restaurant in the world. That's in New York, right? New York. Yeah, yeah. Famous dish was um, um, game, so duck. They completely switched over to a vegetarian menu and they retained their three stars. So I think... Wow. It's coming down from the top and I think you even yeah. see it more and more on like local menus that vegetarian, they're respecting the ingredients and they know yeah. you can do so much more. It's not just going to be beef root and goat's cheese. You know, they're, <laughs> they're going to push it forward and do something interesting like with it. The old uh, portobello mushroom steak. <laughs> oh, stop. There's nothing worse. <laughs> and uh, cauliflower. Cauliflower is another yeah. one that gets rolled out a cauliflower lot. Cauliflower bites. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Don't rate that. No, I, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. I mean, I think, you know, as we move forward into, um, you know, a more sustainable way of being, uh, we undoubtedly have to look at this. And, and a lot of people are moving away from a meat-based diet into sort of flexitarian, uh, you know, to have those options, but undoubtedly having something better on the menu that's vegetarian, that's sort of not just so formulaic, you know, which is, uh, I mean, in the old days, it used to just be pasta and tomato sauce. Yeah, it still is in some places, unfortunately. <laughs> but, yeah. So you're in London now. You've so you've gone and you've got your job. What age are you at this point? Twenty four. Just turned twenty four. Okay, and you are now twenty nine. Right. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to cover the next five years because the next bit is very exciting. Everything's fine on ninety three point nine Dublin South FM. It is great to be on Dublin South ninety three point nine FM. Okay, so welcome back. So we've got in, we're in London. Uh, we are in Vanilla Black. Vanilla Black. Uh, you've got a great job, a job that you really, really like. And then COVID hit. COVID hit, yeah. How long are you in that job? Just over five months. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Disaster. It was crazy. And it's just got myself sorted, settled. Yeah. Really getting into it. Uh, yeah. So I was really out of my depth the first two months because the pace of it. Right. Uh, I never worked in an environment. Uh, with that much responsibility before other than the stage where like, I was led away with a lot. Yeah, because you're um, still training. Yeah. yeah. So the job of your dreams is now disappearing like a fragment of your imagination before your eyes and um, your girlfriend is working in the medical industry, right? Correct, yeah. She specialised in oncology in the uh, Guys and Thomas Hospital. Right. Uh, but then moved into robotics, uh, robotic surgery and right. uh, moved into 
So it's a very difficult time for it to be in medical science for a very different reason than it is a difficult time to be in the restaurant. So the restaurant is now just closed and you have no income. That's it. Correct. Yeah. Right. I think they gave me like four pounds a week on social benefits. Yeah. So I had no income. Yeah. The UK is notoriously bad when, for things like this as well. It's a much lower system here. So you're running out of ability to stay in London. And you also, we don't know when COVID is going to be over. You're also on quite a stringent lockdown. Um, what were your alternatives? We're nothing. We were playing it by ear. We didn't know what yeah. was, no one knew what was happening really. There was talk of a um, food industry furlough that was going to come in, but yeah. didn't know what was going to happen. And then um, my partner Louise, she got moved into uh, A&E, or sorry, I, I, ICU. Yeah. And uh, at the time, London was the yeah. worst affected place in the world. Yeah. So it was Horrific. tough going. And uh, you told me a story that she was on the ward with people with, you know, guns because they were protecting everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, the UK Prime Minister was on her ward right. and um, under an alias, of course, but yeah. very obvious when there's security walking around the wards and in yeah, front of a sure. room with big assault rifles, which we're not used to over here. So. And she's like, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, she just like came home one day and was like, yeah. what are we doing? Let's, let's just call it a day and go home. She's because... also the epicentre of all the trouble and the worry, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and we didn't know what was going on. No one had enough information at the yeah, time. Yeah, sure. So we should we, come you, home. You would know you wouldn't want to be in London for sure. That's yeah. for sure. Like we were scared to even go on the tube at some days. Yeah. Because she came home every day seeing people die that she couldn't help. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So we were like, why are we taking a risk? So we ended up Where's the back. safest place? Where did you come back to? Uh, we went back to my grandparents' hometown of Clorgland, County Kerry. Beautiful. Okay, yeah. so lots of open spaces. Okay, we're in a lockdown, but at least you can walk and you're out and about in the air. Yeah. Of course, we yeah. go to the beach every day, walk along yeah. the river, go up to the mountain if we wanted. It's a place I've gone since I was a kid every yeah. summer, so it means a lot to me. Gorgeous. And uh, then what happened? <laughs> yeah, so we were really bored, uh, as everyone does. We were all bored, yeah. yeah. I was watching Tiger King on uh, Netflix. we all watched Tiger King, yeah. yeah. We all watched it simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. I, I was in bed just looking out at the at the mountains, eating yeah. a tub of ice cream, and I was like, turned to Louise, like, this is crap, like, yeah. I, I can do better. Yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure you can. And then I started, like, a whole year-long research project onto um, what makes good ice cream. Okay, so at the time, like kind of, I mean, I'm assuming this isn't like a, a you know, Hagen Daz or Ben and Jerry's. You're just eating a generic ice cream. You don't have to say, call it out and yeah, say what generic, it was because it was would, awful, but yeah. it was, it wasn't anything tasty. No, it was a good brand of ice cream. Okay. That you'd find in every supermarket okay. and store in Ireland. But what didn't you like about it? It's bland. Yeah. You know, when you scale up that big, you push back on ingredients and you just, you take a few, yeah. um, Shortcuts, yeah, put it that way. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so your palate was probably more refined from being in the kitchens, but also you're nuanced to um, a plant-based lifestyle as well. So you've got a whole different palate. Than, you know, there's somebody yeah. that would, would be eating, you know, veal or, or heavy red sauces or something like that. Do you know, like your 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 palate sort of in tune with a whole different way of being. What was it that? What was it that you, you thought about in the medium of ice cream? Because the, the entrepreneur and the innovator will find a medium, and sometimes the medium is the innovation. What was it in ice cream that was interesting? I don't really know. Yeah. Like, to be honest, it's not even my, like, top three binge-worthy foods. <laughs> yeah. It's just I kind of became obsessed with it. Yeah. The obsessiveness of just doing it better and yeah. doing myself proud and doing the best product I could. Had and you made ice creams in your training? Yeah, we made a good yeah. bit on pastry whenever I hopped in there. So, like, yeah. I knew how to create dairy and non-dairy ice cream at the time yeah. um, to a very high level. But that's very easy to do if you're only making four litres at a time. Yeah, And then sure. you go to, from making four litres to 
hundreds of liters a day. It goes so very difficult. You're you're at the pair of you in lockdown, but you're living with your grandparents. So there's there's people to test this food on. So you're just going trying out this. Try this one. Try this one. Is that how it was working? Um, yeah. So it was actually just me and Lou in the house at the time. Okay. My grandparents were back up in Dublin. Okay. And so I were able to move down there. Right. Um. So. Before I started making any ice cream, I just did research. Every day I would study um, nutritional papers, um, other people's recipes and reverse engineer them, something I learned how to do in college, very right. fortunately, and just see what works, what doesn't work, and if it does work, why. Mm. Uh, if I add this ingredient, how will that counteract if I add this, that, etc. So I spent the past first like six months researching it. Then I went and bought a small ice cream machine in the middle aisle of Aldi. Uh, was <laughs> we like, all love that aisle. Yeah, it was all like 20 quid. Yeah. Uh, and I started, I made like a, um, a vision board with yeah. all the recipes and all the alliterations, yeah. which I could try. Now, this machine was terrible. Yeah. Could have to throw the base in the freezer and could only make 500 meals every day. Okay. So it was a slow process. But um, once I started getting somewhere, I yeah. bought a bigger machine but had a frozen compressor so I could run it three, four hours a day. Okay. Started improving on that and then invested into a small commercial machine where I could pump it on eight hours a day and run a litre every day. And every you're, you're obviously somebody that gets very focused um, uh, because, you know, most people would sort of try making a bit of ice cream here and there and then sort of say, okay, listen, we're out of a lockdown, let's move on to something else mm-hmm. or whatever else, like kind of. So what is what is it about that focus that makes you happy? Oh, that's a good question. Never thought about it that way. I guess when I started, it was kind of a lot of people were going on Duolingo to learn a language where yeah. ice cream was the thing I was really learning to become an expert in. Bread, uh, bread, bread making, was yeah, a thing. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was making sourdough and Everyone banana was making bread. Sourdough, yeah. yeah, so ice cream was my sourdough. Yeah. So every day I was just <laughs> making different things. And I guess every recipe I tried and improved upon yeah. it got better and better and better. Um, I guess seeing other people's feedback. Yeah. Um, realizing that this could be a thing because the idea was always just oh, I'll sell a few tubs of ice cream yeah, and then once it's over I'll go back to the kitchen and I had plenty right. of offers but I right. decided no I'll just keep going at this and were you thinking food truck or how were you thinking about getting this ice cream out there supermarkets okay so originally oh, so you were thinking about a brand yeah for yeah. sure okay. um, it developed very quickly yeah. I thought everywhere was closed uh, only people only places people could go was cafes yeah true so peak summer I decided let's target a load of cafes and it worked. People were swapped out their croissant and coffee to get an ice cream sandwich and coffee. Oh, okay. So we were very fortunate. We launched in one place called the Salsi Cow mm. um, and within uh, three weeks we were stocked in over 30 stores in nine counties or 30 cafes. So to, in order to get to that point, obviously you've done branding. Mm-hmm. So you're not from a business background. So did you just throw some things together? <laughs> no, I actually worked with the amazing Lydia Murray. Okay. Um, my friend of a friend, well, friend's sister, I should say. Yeah. Um, NCAD graduate. Great. Incredible great, great. woman. So smart on the ball. Whenever we uh, talked, it's like she could take the idea straight out of my head. and um, Translate it. Yeah, yeah we created yeah. an amazing brand. Um, what was it called? It was called Lawan. So Lawan is Oswego for the Lawan River. Yeah. Which actually flows through the uh, heartland of Kerry. Uh, yeah. Starts from uh, Clorglan. Sorry, starts from uh, Clarny Lakes. Yeah. All the way down past through Clorglan, which we used to walk across every day. Brilliant. And then out through Dingle Peninsula. So it kind of represents friends, family, community, because the river horseshoes Clorglan. Okay. And then during COVID, used to walk across it every day. Yeah. As it is and country life, everyone would be like, oh, how are you? How are you? you? Need anything? Everyone looking out for each other. And I love that. So I wanted yeah. to represent. Was there was much? Made. Is there much of a food movement down there? There is, but it's hard. Yeah. It's hard in the country. Like you see, 
lot of great bakeries at the moment. Yeah. Um, Emily's and Ross Pay's one comes to mind. Fantastic. Uh, breads, fantastic pizzas. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So you have a brand. You've got some packaging. Mm-hmm. How did you get about setting that up? Just randomly DMing people. Okay. Um, my idea was if they have under 10,000 followers on Instagram, yeah. it's going directly to the owner. Yeah. If they have more than 10,000, it's probably going to be outsourced to a secondary person and then in that case I'd email. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But I was fortunate. Like the first week just took off. We were the only plant-based and free-from product on the market at the time. Still are, I guess. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. Talk about free-from. Free-from what? So we're... Our, Free from 13 out of 14 allergens. So yeah. our only allergen is soy. We use an organic uh, French-grown soy milk in mm. our products. Um, so it's free from gluten. So it's safe for celiacs, free from nuts, free from dairy, free from eggs. Um, we wanted to try to create a product that was delicious, but everyone could enjoy. Because we feel people who have an allergy are often left out. Yeah, I would completely agree. And in terms of the market niche there, I'm assuming you did your numbers and crunched them to see to see what your saturation point could be in yeah, terms of, of Ireland. Yeah, what kind of percentage of people in Ireland have allergies? So according to the last uh, central statistics reports, so um, 5% uh, adults, 3% children yeah. have a food allergy. So it's roughly about 400,000 people. Okay. And then food sensitivities on the rise. Yeah. And then if we look across the into the UK... 44% of British adults have some sort of food allergy. Wow. Yeah, so it's quite big. Um, and we looked at Germany as well, but I think Ireland and UK is pretty content with that. I yeah. don't know if I want to go all the way into Europe, because that's a whole different beast to begin with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, enough, and <laughs> I, I keep thinking about you going up against Italy, you know, in terms of yeah. gelato, like kind of like, a, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a fair bit of competition there. In terms of that, um, I'm just I was in the south of France just recently, and the you know the local gelato there would be sort of right from the border and um, uh, of Italy, and I think there's over 100 flavors, you know, and it's all yeah. it's all made fresh. So yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So you've got your market, you've got you're in some shops, you're starting to get a following. Um, I'm assuming you leverage social media because you're still very good at that. So uh, yeah. you you garnered your following there. What kind of um, practice or protocol did you use to build your community? So we use a social media strategy called main characterization. Uh, I will not take credit for it. I just saw what works in America and Canada and stole it off companies I love. Mm. Um, so essentially the concept of it is that you make your reality show out of your business. So yeah. you show everything or as much as you're comfortable showing. Um, so you play characters to an extent that people um, are, get emotionally attached and they want to see Connor win or yeah. they buy from Connor or else they, they want to see uh, Keats, Keats our head chef, uh, Friday Facts with Keats. Like they, right. So it's like a storyline which they can come in any yeah. day, watch our story, and it's not just us throwing product at them. It's like yeah. a really bad TLC TV show <laughs> okay, that they can't, cool. they can't stop watching. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it makes them feel a part of the brand. Yeah. Because we are a small business, you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, we aren't this big multinational where you don't know who's making it or how it's going right. to stores. Where if you just click on the day Instagram story, you'll see... Keith making everything. You'll see me rapping or whatever. And then you'll see me dropping into stores and having a chat with managers or whatever. So it's yeah. very um it's very easy to connect with it's that accessible. sort of content. Yeah, exactly. It's very yeah. accessible. And uh, what kind of numbers have you got of followers in the moment? Um, I don't know off the top of my head. seven thousand and something, seven yeah. and a half thousand maybe on Instagram. And are you working across TikTok? 
we were on TikTok, but I don't think there's that much of a um, growth in it. Yeah. You grow internationally, but uh, yeah. in terms of uh, or I bring it back into sales, I I don't personally see it. Yeah. Maybe because we're not an e-commerce business. Yeah. Um, you can't really ship ice cream. It's very difficult to. That's true. Um, so we might go viral in like New York. But that's useless to me, you know. Completely, completely. Yeah. And at what point did you change the name? Because that's not your current name. Yeah, of course. So we were very fortunate to take part in a business accelerator program mm. backed called Foodworks. Yeah. Backed by Board Bia, Chagas and Enterprise Ireland. And after the first uh, session, Board Bia sat me down and was like, we're rebranding you. Right. Because the goal is to export. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Oscar Elga has no, um, it's not going to push. It's no USP over yeah. in the UK. Yeah. Um, and also, I, my hands up, it wasn't a great name to begin with because no one could say it anyways. <laughs> but the most important thing is it had the story. Yes. Yeah, Very yeah, difficult yeah. for brands to just create a story out of air yeah. that actually has a meaning. So I will say the name was incorrect, but the story behind it, which was the name yeah. and the river was correct. So what have you called it now? So we're now Day, D-A-E. Yeah. So Day is a metaphor for everything Lowen was. So in short, Lowen was about friends, family, community. Uh, day is that. So day is the friends, family, community meet up on Sunday. Traditionally, you spend time uh, at like loved ones. Ice cream Sunday. Yeah, short for ice cream Sunday. Got it. And then the new logo is yeah. made up still of the Lowen River flowing yeah. in and out. And then also same with our background imagery is all the river flow. Mm-hmm. When you enter an accelerator like that, is there a fear or did you have a fear that sort of, you know, it would... It, it would grow into something you didn't want it to. Did you have your vision very clearly or were you happy to sort of be led and open? How did it work? A, a bit of both. Yeah. Um, I didn't really fully grasp the concept of how big we could make it until right. I, my eyes were opened up to um, the possibilities of working with Board Beer, Enterprise Ireland or yeah. Chagas. Being put into positions where you're able to have meetings with company founders who are turning over 50 million euro a year yeah. and then you hear their story and you're at the exact same spot they were once yeah. five, six years ago. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, wow, that could really be us and they give you so much support or if you need um, papers to study or any data, like it's open for you. Yeah. So it's really a massive help and once I, that nine months was completed, vision was set. I knew exactly where I wanted to go and how to do it and just about trying to accomplish it. Have you um, been able to get any funding? Uh, through the Foodworks, we got a bit of grants. Yeah. Um, local enterprises helped us with grants. And we're currently going to working with Enterprise Ireland to see if we can be invested in via them. Yeah. Um, 2023 was a big year for us because we did, obviously took a step back from Lowen, pulled all our products off the shelf and did a big rebrand today. Yeah. Um, again, fortunate to work with such incredible um, state-funded bodies where yeah. they experts were able to show us where we need what we needed to do right so we laid out a, a year plan which was set the rebrand yeah put out the revised products uh which is the ice cream sandwiches first then we have the food service then we have the tubs and then our other new product which is where we're at now so we've accomplished a lot in a year yeah but if you look at our books 2023 wasn't great. So yeah, if an investor sure. was coming in, that's all they care about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think 2024 is our big year where we need to really do well in the sales. Yeah. Foundation is set. It's rock solid. And then late 2024, look at trying to bring in some external investment and push uh, yeah. aggressively into other markets. What was the story with getting a shop in 
Stephen's yeah. Green Shopping Centre. Yeah. How did that happen? So we uh, we got offered it, essentially. Yeah. Um, one of our friends had a shop beside us, uh, and they were like, look, vacant unit, any interest? And I was like, yeah, maybe. Talked to the landlord, great pricing. He was like, do you want to do nine weeks just a summer? I was like, yeah, grant. So we set up a small store in Stephen's Green Shopping Centre. Um, I think it was Ireland's first fully like free from store, mm. which is amazing. And so we did nine weeks and sales were great. People loved it. Busy every day. Uh, the landlord came back to us like, do you want to continue on for the year? Mm. I was like, yeah, perfect. Let's do it. So then uh, as it developed over the year, it became a place where parents could bring their kids where they knew they could be safe to eat. Yeah. Like we had people traveling down from Cavan or Tralee and right. stuff right. just right. so their kid, kid could try a cross on waffle for the first time and they yeah. know to be safe. Yeah. Um, but all good things must come to an end. Um, it was supposed to be a pop-up. And after 13 months, it was a lot of work. The team grew from three of us in the kitchen to seven in total. Yeah. We were we made uh, new flavors every 10 days. So Wow. Yeah, and we had six flavors on the go. And each okay. one, we would make 25 liters of six flavors. And each one would go between 10 and 15 days. So yeah. constantly reinventing it, making everything from scratch because we're free from in an allergy-free facility. It was a lot of work and at the end of the day I was like, I want yeah. to grow the wholesale market, the food service market. That's yeah, that's yeah. the goal. Yeah. This is distracting. Um, so yeah. I was like, that's it. I'm going to pull out at the end of our lease and that's what I did. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard this so many times from people entering to retail because you've got this public awareness now of what you're doing and you've got a front and everyone's like, oh my God, you made it, you have a shop. And you're like, I've never worked as hard and I've never had as little money, you yeah. know? So it's, I, I think, you know, the mar the margins are so squeezed. They're, I mean, they're, you know, I'm sure the rent was prohibitive. You say you've got a good deal, but even so, you know, if you enter into key money and you're going down that route there, you know, the high street is just a nightmare. Mm. So I can I can see why you would pull back on that. What flavors did you have these? You said you had six. Do you have six staples and then you have new ones coming in? So we had a over the 12, 13 months, I think we did about 150 different flavors. That is nuts. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> what um, were you thinking? Yeah, it was cool. Like, it was inventive. I love, like, like I said, I'm not mad. Snozberry. And <laughs> yeah, no, we met, you named the flavor. We probably had it. We had some great collabs. Like, we collabed with uh, Blanco Nino, the tortilla chip brand. Yeah. And make a toasted, uh, a toasted blue... Uh, corn chip ice cream with uh, caramelized tortilla chips wow. and foraged blackberry. Wow. And like stuff like this. Or like, or well, like, I can see for somebody that's creative in the kitchen why that would have been a really exciting twist yeah. to it all. Right? That's cool. And if you look at like, yeah. we were very American based on what we did. So loads of chunks, loads of swirls. And if you look around Dublin, it's all Italian style gelaterias. Right. It's like you get a plain flavor or else you got a kinder bueno. It's like, yeah. oh, that, yeah. that's original, lads. Come on. Like, we can do better than that. And that's what I really um, enticed yeah. me to go for it. Yeah, so. enticed me. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, shh. All right, brilliant. We're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk about some of those competitors, you know, because it's hard to go up against the big boys and girls. Yeah, uh, definitely. So um, we'll take a break. Everything's fine on 93.9. Dublin South FM. Okay, welcome back. So we're talking about all things sweet and uh, we're getting our, our listeners salivating here. So we talked about flavours, that incredible number of flavours that you said there before the break. Which was your favourite? I love our vanilla. <laughs> and I know it sounds crazy. Come on, no. 150 flavours and you're going to pick vanilla? Yeah, I think vanilla has <laughs> been wrecked by the industry. Yeah. You see an artificial vanilla taste in your yoghurt to yeah. your shampoo. Yeah, so yeah. you associate uh, that 
fake vanilla taste with everything. Whereas right. if you we imported Papua New Guinea vanilla beans straight in from the farm, so we know the farmers got oh. an ethical price for it. Yeah. We made our own vanilla paste. Uh, we tried out the pods, blitzed them into vanilla sugar, so that we had vanilla double vanilla bean yeah. and vanilla sugar in with it, and it was exceptional. Wow. Really put a premium on what vanilla should taste like. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think it's a uh, simple and letting a flavor shine rather than like your uh, your caramels or your double chocolate brownies yeah, and stuff. Yeah, keep it simple. In terms of your price points, though, you know, you're bringing in the best of ingredients. You know, that's got to squeeze your margins. Yeah, you know? definitely. At, at what point is the tipping point for you to sort of say, listen, we can't keep on like this? There's got to be some kind of compromise along the way. Yeah, of course. It's a lot of adjusting in recipes. So yeah. you, um, ice cream calculations is very scientific. Mm. So you have to have within a certain region, total amount of solids or total amount of fat. We go for like a premium style. So it has to have between like 11 to 15% fat. That's the taste part, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It makes yeah. it more creamy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so depending on the recipe, we could alter it, maybe bring the fat levels down. So we save a bit on that or yeah. um, depending on the ingredient. So yeah, but I'm very influenced by brands like Van Leeuwen in America who buy a Pronte Sicilian uh, pistachios and yeah. they make it work nationwide. Yeah. And if they can make it work, so can we. I yeah. don't think just because the margin is tight, we should um, skip uh, skip taking the good ingredients yeah, and just absolutely. taking those shortcuts. I don't think it's worth it. So you're now you know, letting retail go and because you're right, it is a distraction. It's very, very time consuming and you're only a small team. So did you, was there, any, was there any kind of sort of grief or sadness or loss with that? Like kind of because, you know, to pu the public eye, it's like, oh, we didn't make it work. Um, yeah. You know, so that's a little bit hard because it hits us with the ego of just, I'm oh, giving yeah. up my one shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the comments were ruthless. Yeah, I'd well, say very they funny were. though. We got to go laugh at them in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did you manage that as a team to keep buoyant? I, as crazy as that sounds, we were delighted. Okay, yeah. We... It's as soon as like that eight month mark, we were all burnt out yeah. from the shop and it's, none of us wanted to do it. Yeah. So it's funny. People are always like, oh, how do you guys feel after closing the shop? And we're like, this is great. Yeah. We have our weekends back. I yeah. don't have a weekend all like for three and a half months. I worked every single day. Yeah. And then people are like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm just chilling Saturday, Sundays now. Yeah. So we're happy about it. Okay, but good. We now know if we ever wanted to, we could open a shop easily. Yeah. We know how to the workflow should be. We know how people walking in and out and yeah. where they should stand and where they should order and where the display should be, the pricing should be. We know everything. So yeah, if we absolutely. ever wanted to go back... At another can, stage. Yeah, super yeah. easy. Yeah. Valuable lessons have been learned. How do you... How do you take on the likes of the big brands? I mean, you know, Gino's has been a success story in Ireland um, based on the fact that, it, you know, I remember seeing one out in Bray and the guy standing there at six in the morning, you know, making the ice cream mm. in the window, you know, and like kind of... They've rolled out a sort of a, a recipe with the, you know, the the bespoke little bulb lights that everybody sees yeah, and everything else, you know, and to, to scale like that. Is that something you could see for, for your brand or is that just not, are you in a different lane, do you think? Different lane completely. Yeah. Um, they have nice bright flashy lights to come in and uh, attract you. Yeah. And then their ice cream isn't that good. It's too sweet. It's, yeah. Uh, yes, I could say a lot, but what's the point? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Whereas if you look... What we had, it's very artisanal. Uh, it wasn't the best location. We could have done the shop up better, all this type of stuff. Yeah. But if we really invested in it, it would be a place where you're creating a great community of loyal customers. Yeah. And that will be more than happy to keep you going. Can you sell ice cream all year round in Ireland? You can and you can't. 
So there's definitely a massive decline from kind of start of October yeah. up until uh, April. Yeah. You see it on supermarkets and people just don't buy it as regularly. Impulse is down definitely as well. Yeah. But in food service, it goes all year round. Yeah. Because it could be 30 degrees or it could be minus 10. Someone's still going to get a scoop of vanilla ice cream on their brownie. Sure. You know, so yeah, yeah. Um, that's why we spent a lot of time this year on food service and making sure we're with the right distributors. Yeah. We actually won um, quality Irish food awards. We won double gold for our, um, thank you, with our chocolate ganache flavor. Yeah. So it was a lot of work and I think that's um, a big important area of making money on ice cream in Ireland. How many flavors do you currently have? Officially for the ice cream sandwiches, we have two. We have a yeah. vanilla caramel and a chocolate cookie. Yeah. Um, and then our food service, we have, depending on the distributor, we have two or three with them, uh, ranging from um, that Papua New Guinea vanilla I was talking about earlier, yeah. or the 64.5% uh, chocolate ganache. We have Irish raspberry jam, um, we have a honeycomb, and then we also have a different bourbon vanilla. Mm. Um, but again, most of the distributors prefer to have a custom flavour. Yeah. So their sales team can push a unique uh, product into the market, which yeah. is perfect for us. Yeah. So um, you're B2B at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you thinking that that's the way you're going to stay? 100%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what's your vision? Our vision is to pivot a little bit from just ice cream yeah. and introduce our own line of uh, free from treats, so yeah. such as cookie dough bites, brownie bites, uh, cakes, etc. Yeah. So try to make day rather than just your ice cream shop, this one-stop shop for free from products. So yeah. you can have everything in the winter and everything in the summer and you know straight away it's going to be day. And I remember reading as well that you were sort of saying, you know, they're not necessarily healthier, they're free from, but like kind of so, but they are healthier in terms of the ingredients and the clean eating. It's just they still, the ice cream, for example, still would have like a fat content, for example. So it's not skinny ice cream. Of course, Because yeah. the, the taste would be completely gone and you'd have to have artificial course, you know, yeah. uh, uh, flavors in there. So, you know, is is there... Is there a, is is the market for you not just the market that's free from for people that have allergies, but also the clean eating market? To an extent, it depends yeah. what product you look at. Yeah. Like if you take the ice cream, it's definitely not healthy. It's full fat, it's loads of sugar, and it's absolutely delicious. <laughs> how ice cream should be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then if you look at certain treats like the lemon drizzle cake, or yeah. lemon drizzle bite, a um, lot less sugar, um, fresh lemons in there. Yeah. Um, and just. It's not much. I think if we, if we, you know, we often assume that healthy, you know, we wrongly assume that healthy doesn't mean fat. Like kind of like, you know, fats are not necessarily bad for us. It's it's what we do with them. But, you know, if somebody's, you know, concerned about sort of, you know, eating something, for example, like I work out, like kind of I want to eat clean as much as possible. I'm not too worried about the calories because I've got the, you know, the the the, the calorific output, like of in course. terms of working yeah. out. So I think, you know, there's a, there's a whole sort of angle there as well as people sort of get more discerning about what they want to put into their bodies that they want it just to be the better one yeah of course yeah and also life is hard for everyone yeah. you know like too hard not to have ice cream exactly like it's <laughs> not gonna wreck your week just to have a tub of ice cream here or there because you work super hard you know yeah like just be healthy treat yourself and that's what we're there to do how long is it going to take you to get your sweet treats or your your ambient treats meaning things that don't come out into out of the fridge how long is it going to take you to get all of this together uh so we've been working on it the whole 2023 well done so we've have a range of about eight products, um, everything from carrot cake to seasonal sticky toffee puddings, ready to go. Mm. Um, three have been lab tested for all our results, which yep. uh, we have our free from label. Um, three have also been 
in nearly about ninety percent designed, just waiting on everything. Yeah. And we're pitching to a big retailer now in January. Um, so Exciting. That they will be on the shelves. Don't know exactly where. Yeah. But hundred percent on the shelves in twenty twenty four. So this next level, I'm assuming this is UK. No, just Ireland. Just Ireland. Okay. Get Ireland set for twenty twenty four. Okay. Twenty twenty five push into Northern Ireland. Okay. Um, hopefully have that round of investment we was talking about yeah. earlier in the show. Uh, and then push into the UK, um, starting with big cities, Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, Glasgow, London. How are you going to manage? <laughs> uh, I don't know. You just keep going. It's like that famous text saying, just move fast and break things and just examine them later when you're yeah. miles ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you're obviously going to have to grow your team. Yeah. And, yet, you know, so you, so it's, 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 it's tough for the small, the small innovator because you've got a vision and you can see where you want to go, but you need the investment. You take the investment, you're probably giving away equity. Um, at the same time, then it's not your baby anymore and you're going to have to grow your team. And running, running a, a business that scales like that is a whole nother venture. Yeah. How are you preparing for that mentally? Well, I'm, I'm very honest about yeah. my capabilities. I know 100% there's someone out there that can do sales better than I can. Yeah. That even potentially better CEO than I am. Yeah. And if that's the case of growing day or where we want to be, I have no problem bringing that person in. Yeah. Um, I think that's the next big challenge is growing the team to that next three to eight people mark because that's, yeah. that's, that's difficult. Yeah. Um, I can't actually describe how difficult that is unless you have run your own business and realize eight different personalities trying to hit all the same, uh, same KPIs yeah. And also really good wages for eight people. Because that's yeah. what I want. You know, yeah. I want people to work for a day and make a good living out of it and be happy in their job and they retire there. You know, I don't want yeah. constant staff turnover yeah. where they hate it. I want to create a, a, a business where people love coming to work and seeing they're making great product, which are making people happy. That's the essence of what I'm trying to do. So yeah. eight good wages, or even three good wages. It's, it's hard <laughs> to get. It sure is. And, you know, you you're, you're talked about, you know, when we first started chatting about doing things differently from the kitchen, you know, because the, the that's no life. So, you know, being able to have a life, being able to support not just eight people, but it's eight people plus their families, you know, and yeah. like kind of get that investment. You know, that's that's hard for a founder. And you, you're quite rightly, you know, saying that, you know, you, you can still be the founder. You don't necessarily have to be the CEO in terms yeah. of this. In, in, in your scale out, roll out, um, to take it across Ireland, okay, yep, absolutely, can see how you can get the backing for that. Are you then looking at around a VC funding to scale at the end of 24? Definitely. Yeah. VC to get us into Northern Ireland and then yeah. probably our second and third round to set up shop in the UK. We'll have to set up a base for probably in London because Board B offices are there. Yeah. Very handy to be close to them. Yeah. Uh, and a whole new team for London in terms of sales. We need a strong distribution. Yeah. Um marketing as well you know who so. are your main competitors in the UK in ice cream there's obviously the Unilever is still dominant player over there so you have yeah. your Ben and Jerry's you have your um, Haagen-Dazs you have your Mars Fronteri brands but then you have a, a few really great artisanal brands my favourite being Hackney Gelato mm. um, love them think they're the most amazing ice cream think they're the most amazing people we talk a lot they're very nice great um uh, a raw ice cream, another small London-based brand. You yeah. have um, um, Gelato Bio out in up northeast or northwest, I believe. So a few really good artisanal players yeah. in there as well in the ice cream section. Uh, and then the free from section, you'd have um, Irish brands like Be Free. Yeah. Um, 
and then a lot of own brands. So Tesco own brand free from stuff and M&S free from stuff like that. Would it break your heart if you exit by selling to a big brand? Depends on the terms. <laughs> Depends on how much money yeah. they're buying you out for, uh, for sure. Not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> no, I know. Obviously, yeah. I want to make a living off it. But like I said, yeah. I want, it's not, even though I do a large majority of the work, so does yeah. the starting team. Yeah. And I'd have to be insured that the team are not only uh, insured employment. After, yeah. Uh, and they're not going to be wage decreased. They have to make a good living on how the work environment we create in day stays that way. Yeah. So that would have to be part of the term sheet. You're creating a culture. And loads of money, obviously. Of course, yeah, loads yeah. of money, of course, of course. I mean, you're creating a culture and what's difficult when as soon as you start taking that VC funding is that culture shifts, you know, because you're not solely in charge. You have to run things by yeah. other people. Um, and then often as well, I've, what I've seen happen with businesses that have started to scale is that they'll fight very hard for that sort of the, the, the quality assurance. You know, we need a high wage for our people. We need the highest quality ingredients and the VC funding will turn around, you know, and sort of say, well, your shareholders will start to say, well, hang on a minute, there's no margin here now. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a power play. Um, have you thought about a collaboration with any of the others that are in your field? You know, so going more into this sort of community mind, hive mind, rather than sort of opposition that sort of, you know, if you all joined forces together, like, you know, Hackney Gelato, for mm. example, that you could take on the big boys? There, there's been talk about it in Ireland. Yeah. Um, a few producers buy a facility. So it's like one big kitchen, one big storage facility. Yeah. And your supermarkets only need to come to one place to pick up everything. Yeah. Um, but it's just too difficult to do. Yeah. There's so many uh, external factors from someone may have different opinion, someone may have external funding, so their shareholders don't agree with it. Yeah. Because it will obviously dilute their margin and their equity. And I don't know. I don't think it's possible. Mm. It'd be nice in an open uh, open idea to have it, but yeah. I don't. I don't know. Well, there's always more than one way to go around these things, you know, and I often think that we are entering into a time now of some of the most innovative businesses are those collaborations, the ones that have this sort of collective mindset, you know, I, for example, Turo, who are the car car com company that are coming into Europe now who, um, you know, you rent out the car that's in your driveway rather than getting a higher car, for example, you know, this idea of sort of what do we already have? you know, rather than sort of wanting more. So we don't mm. end up with the, I heard this term the other day, suffocation. You it's know, we we literally are suffocating without how many things we have. It's got to be the quality aspect. What are the core values that your brand holds dearest? Definitely that everyone that works in day is happy. Mm. Um, there's no point doing something you're not happy about. Um, I got to give it out to my friend Keith. He's been with us since two years. And he gives it all. He yeah. should be paid so much more, but he's very uh, understanding that yeah. he wants it to work just as much as we do. Love that. Um, so that's the environment we want to try create. Yeah. Um, creating the best products possible for people with allergies. Yeah. And everyone, full stop. So they aren't left out, and they aren't thinking, "Oh, this could be better." Or we're always, we're always um, the second thought. Yeah. Whereas they can go buy a product from day and they know this was made specifically with them in mind and it's delicious mm. and then lastly just creating an Irish business that people can look back on years and be like that was great similar yeah. to the way Bread 41 are doing now Yeah, you know like they're really investing in the environment and staff welfare they just recently got um, a B Corp certification Yeah. Um, so following the footsteps of brands like that and feed and 
stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know Shane from Feed. He actually yeah. came through the Innovation Academy. Yeah, he's great. Multiple, multiple iterations. Yeah, super inspirational businesses and brands and founders that we want to try mimic. If you could collab with one person globally or one group globally, is there one that would be like the golden goose for you? I'm actually really biased. I just collaborated with uh, someone I'm super, super inspired by. Her name is Kirsten. She was a Ben and Jerry's flavor guru for ah. two decades, give or take. Yeah. Um, incredibly smart woman, food scientist, and help us with. I love our... the term flavor guru. Yeah, so good. <laughs> um, she's a whiz, just yeah. and just a nice person. You know, yeah. I got introduced to her in a. I'm part of an ice cream collective group. Of course you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, randomly. <laughs> To take it back real quick, um, my first ice cream machine, the commercial one, I didn't know how to use it. Googled it on Instagram. Yeah. One hashtag, picked on uh, some randomers photo, messaged them. They invited me into a group, 200 people from Kenya to Secret Canada ice cream to collective. America, and we all help each other. I love this. And huge brands in there. Yeah, yeah. So I met yeah. her through there and ended up working with her the past two months, three months to create an even better recipe. And she's just amazing. I'm a big fanboy. Well, so. look, I'm delighted that you're living your dream and that you're creating something for, for those around you and those teams as well. But you're thank also you. creating amazing food. So Connor Sweeney from Day, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lai. 